Listen up or run for cover. Dropping knowledge from the people who have it to the people who need it. The, the real Bradley Bombs is dropping. What it is, Brad Lee, back again with another episode of Dropping Bombs today in the studio. Folks, I've got a real, real treat for you. Mark T. Jackson, if you've never heard of him, he's an Army combat veteran, federal agent, and veterans advocate. Earlier this year, he became a lobbyist, provocateur, and advocate for veterans of a small secret base located in southern Uzbekistan called K2. So... I wanted to invite I wanted to invite you here to number one get some awareness on this whole deal, but more importantly, just freaking pick your brain about a whole bunch of this stuff that you know hopefully will 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 allow people to understand and or reach out and help get veterans some help. I I appreciate it. It's good to be here. Um, I I can tell you there's a lot to pick. <laughs> Well, dude, we were talking in the green room. I'm like, shit, dude, let's get on the microphone. This is crazy. This is crazy shit. It's almost like, dude, you've, you're, you're almost like, uh, so right now you're a federal agent yeah, and you investigate shit for the army. Yes. That's my full-time job. And, and ultimately you back in the day got assigned to K2. That's correct. Yeah. Which, which you went over there just like you were told to do as part of every soldier that went over there. That's right. And then, long story short, there was some toxic shit over there. Everybody's getting sick. Now nobody wants to recognize it. That is a very good summary of what happened. I uh, Yeah, so I was active duty Army. My agency's odd. It's like NCIS, the TV show, minus everything in the TV show, right? So you have the active duty side, then investigate active duty stuff, like, for example, all the things that are happening at Fort Hood right now. What's then, happening there? Uh, there's just been a lot of uh, issues with... Uh, soldiers dying what about that some soldier disappeared yeah yeah that's that would be our agency and in coordination with whomever else i'm not obviously i'm not involved with any of that oh you're not no no definitely not (laughs) but that's the type of stuff you're talking about murders disappearances fraud what about what about if soldiers like are somewhere like let's say iraq and they kicked in a door and found a a 30 million dollars and they took it do you investigate that shit I've investigated exactly that. Is it illegal for them to take? It is illegal for them to take, for sure. That should be spoils of war. Um, well, it's it's our money usually. So oh. the way the way it worked back then is, especially early in the in the Iraq War, is they would put hundred dollar bills wrapped on pallets, put them onto a C seventeen or C one thirty, unload them, put them in a, a, a frankly a shipping container with bars on the windows and then pay out people backpacks full of money to do stuff for us. Wow. So that left a lot of room for people to make a lot of really bad, life-changing decisions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> See, I, there's just too much, too much to talk about, but I don't want to take attention away from the real reason we're here. So if I get into these too far, I just need to remind people listening that, A, number one, this isn't a movie. This isn't false. This isn't freaking made up. This is, number one, your life. Yep. And I think it's going to be a movie. I think it's going to be a book for sure. But Mark T. Jackson, folks, look him up. If you're on Instagram, go check him out at at S, is it SFF? SFF underscore K2. So that's 
for the Stronghold Freedom Foundation. And, Stronghold Freedom Foundation. And that is a foundation that was uh, established, 501c3, that some K2 veterans got together and established in February of this year. So we're, we're brand new because until December of last year, nobody had said anything in public about K2. There was a Facebook page put together by a guy by the name of PJ Widener, him and his best friend, Mike West, put a, a Facebook page together because Mike West was dying of cancer in 2012. And they knew other dudes that were dying of cancer. And the only thing all these dudes had in common was that they'd been to K2 in Uzbekistan back between 01 and 05 when the base existed. So when Mike West died, PJ was there with him and promised him that he'd get something done. And PJ, for the next seven and a half years, did that by himself. Had a couple, couple hundred people on the Facebook page. Finally, a reporter picked up on it from the Clatchy newspapers in D.C., and then we got about, that's where I found out about it, because you think you're alone. And you were like, hey, I was there. Yes, right. Now, did you ever have cancer? No, I've, uh, I've been relatively lucky. Um, so, I, you know, I'm athletic. I do ultra marathons. I try to eat right. You know, I, I do yoga, all that stuff. Try, try to stay just generally fit, right? Um, but when I was 27, so about a year after I got back from K2, I went from being able to run a marathon to not being able to run up or walk up a step of stairs. And I was like, well, that's, that's weird. So I went to my doctor, and they did a simple draw, blood draw, and my thyroid was dead, uh, completely dead, which um, I don't want to give away the ending, but uh, that's symptomatic of uh, exposure to radiation, among other, among other uh, chemicals. And uh, so anyhow, it was, it was profound, like it's com- completely gone. Um, and that's one of the more common cancers that we have in people. Mine has not turned cancerous yet. I've been warned that whatever's on it, nodules or whatever, you call, I'm not a doctor, but I, I know it's going to have to come out eventually. Um, not yet. Um, I wound up with osteoporosis in my lumbar spine. Uh, again, exposure. Um, my, my wife's going to be mad if I forget all these. Uh, 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 non-iron deficient anemia. Again, radiation and or other chemicals. Uh, a brain fenestration. And all, all these, I consider all these minor because we have people dying. Because we have people with cancer, right? And my stuff's annoying. I take a handful of pills, a little bit of iron here, a little bit of Synthroid there. Some stuff for uh, some uh, uh, digestive stuff, Di- diverticulosis. That's the worst, like, because that's that's symptomatic, right? You have to actually take things to kind of calm that down. But all that started when I was young. I was a very young man um, when all that started. And there's a lot of other people who have that. Now it's not universal. That's not how exposure works, right? So of the five thousand or so people that we represent in our organization, of the ten thousand that went, somewhere in the neighborhood of two thousand are sick. So some around 40% are sick of something, and all of us have similar symptoms. Mm. So let's, let's take everybody back to that K2. Where, where is K2, and how'd you end up there? So K2 is taken from the name of the two cities near there, Karshi and Kanabad, Uzbekistan. So if you look at a map, Uzbekistan's a dub, double landlocked country shaped a little bit like a peanut, tucked in between Kazakhstan and Afghanistan, and then it borders a bunch of other stands too. Um, it used to be near the Aral Sea, which is uh, which has since dried up, and it's a former Soviet republic. K2 was the base that the Soviets used. They didn't call it K2. I couldn't tell you what they, what they called it. Uh, but they used K2 to invade northern Afghanistan, which is exactly what we used the base for 22 year, years later in 2001. So after the uh, attacks of 9-11... Uh, President Bush in the smoldering ruins sat there and said, yep, we're going to go hook whoever did this up. And I think they gave the Taliban two weeks. And during that two weeks, we sent people over to southern Uzbekistan to this old Soviet base that was 
underused. So the, the Uzbek Air Force was still there. Um, to tell you a little bit about the Uzbek Air Force, they had about 50 MiGs, maybe more, and five pilots. And I'm pretty sure they were just swapping out parts for the two that flew. Um, so not, not a robust Air Force, but the runway was good. It's a two-mile-long runway, um, lots of bunkers there and lots of room for us to put up a base. It was already pretty much secure. And Uzbekistan at the time, and still is, uh, very much a police state. So it was a safe place for us to go, and only about 100 kilometers north of northern uh, uh, Afghanistan. So we sent in special forces, we sent in some combat engineers, and we sent in a couple of environmental scientists uh, alongside them to see what was up. And what was up was that there was depleted uranium and yellow cake uranium and give or take 400 other substances identified at the time. This is in October, November of 2001. They were aware. We needed the base, though, right? So, I I mean, to me, that outweighs everything. And I want to make clear that in spite of everything I'm about to say, in spite of everything that I already know, I'd still go back. This will never be about not wanting to serve to being being afraid of not wanting to go to war. That's our job, right? But we're going to get recognition for what I'm telling you. So that's that's kind of my caveat to everything I'm going to say. I'm not complaining. And I'm not asking for anything except for the government to recognize that they sent 10,100 people there, of which 40% are sick, dying, or dead. So anyhow, um, we occupied the space. We sent in some combat engineers, but the early guys that went in stayed in those bunkers I was telling you about. So if you've ever seen uh, like Chuck Norris movies or you know, 80s Stallone movies, and they go into the former Soviet Union, those gla- grass-covered bunkers with the big iron doors, those exist. And that's what the base had, that, that portion of the base at the end of the runway. We probably had, if I had to guess, probably like 200 acres, not a giant footprint. And they would use those to store any number of things. What they did store in there was chemical weapons and radioactive things. And during the course of their occupation, they were uh, demilitarizing a lot of those weapons, and they had several accidents during those demilitarizations. So there were explosions, and that shit went everywhere. And it was just laying on the ground. So when we first got there, and all this shit was laying on the ground, we're like, we should move that shit. So they, they did. They scooped it into piles and built a berm around the base. And then they dug a couple of lakes. Like, if you ever been to Florida, where I live, you can't build anything without digging down, so you got, you got to have somewhere for the water to go. And this part of Uzbekistan's not dissimilar to that, so that's what they did. Um, and then put the base on the inside of those berms, put some concertina wire on the top, a couple observation posts, a gate on one side, now you have a base. So they, they put down gravel on top of that, the rest of that contaminated dirt, and uh, then they put up the tent city. Um, this, which is where you guys stayed. Which is where we lived, yeah. I, I was lucky enough, by the time I got there in 03, they started building what are called sea huts. Sea huts are kind of look like a, like a really crappy beach house, you know, like a kind of like a shotgun shack, and you can throw anywhere from, you know, eight to 20 dudes in there, depending on how many bunk beds and how big it is. Um, we eventually got plumbing, though, which was super weird for, for that early uh, in the war. I got to, got to have uh, a pr- pretty regular showers there for the last 90 days I was there. So, um, but, but anyhow, so uh, as, as our early guys were there, people were getting sick um, from any number. Just, just weird stuff. While they were there? Oh, well, yeah. yeah <coughs> absolutely. Early on in, in particular. In fact, um, there, and a lot of this stuff is going to be anecdotal. We do have written accounts of this, like sworn statements. Dudes were writing sworn statements, having somebody raising the right hand and swear to it. And we, we have those uh, at the foundation, actually on our website. If anybody wants to see any of this stuff, I, not only can I back it up, you can go in there and look at it. Um, there's been a bunch of, we'll get to it, but there's been a lot of documents declassified recently as a direct result of some of the stuff that we're, we're trying to work on. So anyhow, we, uh, 
the guys started getting sick and the Uzbek workers that were there, like the locals that they're pulling over from the town of Karshi. Karshi is a big city, by the way. It's like 400,000, 350,000, 400,000 people. Um, I'll call it a modern city. It's a modern Soviet city. So if you ever seen pictures of the old Soviet Union with the, the boxy buildings and the big wide boulevards and the, the weird trees with the painted trunks and the giant uh, weird monuments and stuff, that that's what they had there. But then you mix in like the fact that the the, the city itself is like two thousand years old. So you have like a madrasa that's been used since like Alexander the Great rolled through there. Uh, then Marco Polo wrote about. It. I mean, Uzbekistan's a cool place. You know, I, I, you don't think you've heard about it, then you start thinking about, all right, I've heard of the Aral Sea, and I've heard of Samarkand, and you've heard of Genghis Khan, because his grandson, Tamerlane, he was from, uh, I think it was Bukhara, which is a really old, walled city. Like, when you go there, like, all the, his palace is still there. Like, I've been, I've been to, I've walked into it. Like, it's just like this 1,200-year-old Khan's house just sit, sitting in this walled city. But I, I don't mean to get off track, but it was, I mean, it's, it's a cool place to go and nobody's been there right i mean it's just who's been, who's been to uzbekistan but uh so anyhow that ten thousand one hundred of you yeah ten thousand one hundred of us that's exactly right um so the, yeah, but, but before you continue sure. so so why is there no record of it so it, it's not that there's no record right you can google it and you there's like news contemporary newspaper articles that are like uzbek base established by u.s forces Uzbek base closed because we have a disagreement with, with the Uzbek government. That that kind of stuff, and then, um, but no mention of Uzbek base has chemicals and shit, and people are dying. That's correct. Not until uh, December of 2019, and then a whole lot more over the past nine months. But uh, but you would think military keeps impeccable records, no? They did. We have them. They so were- the records are there that people are saying, "Hey, I'm sick. Hey, I'm this. Hey, my spleen's falling out." And they're in the records, but nobody wants to acknowledge them? That is the situation in which we find ourselves. And I don't want to cast aspersions on the Department of Defense or on the Department of Veterans Affairs, but it's their responsibility. Right? Sure, but if the records are there, you'd think they'd be like, holy shit, we, let's get you some help. So here's we'll, we'll go back to Uzbekistan in a second. Here's, here's, I, I've learned all this in the past nine months. Like I'm a veteran, so and I, I get some VA benefits um, uh, from, from my service, from, from my thyroid, right? I mean, they, they do compensate me. A thyroid, by the way, if you're wondering, is worth about $120 a month um, if, if you lose it while you're in service um, or if it's service-related. Um, so the way the VA works uh, and the way generally that, that healthcare works for soldiers that are injured, right? So if you're injured while you're in active duty, you die while you're in active duty, you are covered. Your family is covered. You're good. You're going to get everything from the post 9-11 GI Bill to good benefits all the way through your kids until they're like 26. Um, and then you, you yourself, if you're the surviving spouse, you're going to have a, a paycheck in retirement for the rest of your life, right? Or at least until you hit Social Security. And you're going to have VA benefits too. Uh, if, if you're the veteran, if, you're, if you did survive, you're going to have whatever retirement you get from your injury or your sickness that you got while you're in service, and there'll be some sort of compensatory VA benefit as well. You'll be able to get preventative care. You'll be able to get uh, everything, medicine, you name it. If you were at K2 and you got sick after you got out of the military and you went into the VA and said, I'm really sick and I have all these symptoms and I was at K2 Uzbekistan, the VA is going to say, cool. It's not in the Code of Federal Regulations. It's not in the U.S. Code. Nowhere in any federal regulation is Uzbekistan recognized 
as a place to which we deployed soldiers and recognized as part of what's called the larger Southwest Asia theater of operations. Okay, so to me, <clears throat> that's where I'd say why. The records are there. We were there. I don't give a shit what your regulations say. You made an omission. They did, and we're tra- that's what we're trying to do. If I could boil down, you and I are going to talk for like an hour and a half. I'm going to boil it down to one word. We can make this a 30-second podcast. Add Uzbekistan to 38 CFR. One word. All I want is one word. Not- and, then, and then everybody would get help because when the when – the, I don't want to call them lackeys, but people that weren't there that are just following the stupid ass code. And well, in order to give you that coverage, I have to see it on this list. And it's not on the list. Those people. Yes. Because if it was on the list, they'd be like, oh, and they'd handle you. But who 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 decides it goes on the list? So there's <clears throat> and again, I, I'm I'm still a layman, although I've done an awful I, I've been involved a lot with uh with Congress and, and with speaking with the DOD and, and the VA, um, this can be done in several different ways. You can have a law that is passed saying K2 veterans will receive this. It's like what they did for Agent Orange, right? So, which by the way, inter- interesting fact, took Agent Orange guys right around 18 years to get some legislation. We're at 18 years for, for K2. So I, I think that's just maybe that's just a government thing, um, but uh, and, and I don't I don't want to say we're the same as Agent Orange uh, because there were so many of them. Again, we're only ten thousand one hundred, but the situation's not dissimilar. It's I mean we're we're talking about something that's essentially the same thing. It's an oversight, right? So Afghanistan is in thirty eight CFR, and what thirty eight CFR? And they've added on to the thirty eight CFR that covers Southwest Asia. Uzbekistan, and Afghanistan are in Central Asia. Doesn't matter. Call the theater of operations. Add them into that Gulf War registry. That's really what that does is it puts people in the Gulf War registry, lets them sign in for burn pits. We should talk about burn pits at some point. Um, It lets them uh, have some presumptive conditioning for diseases that are caused by those burn pits and some exposures. So toxic exposures in the military is a whole thing right now. In fact, there's a whole act called the Toxic Exposure in the American Military Act of 2020. It's great. The VFW is behind it along with about 20 other kind of grassroots organizations, 501c3s like ours. The problem is that, legi- that that proposed legislation doesn't mention Uzbekistan either, except in passing. What it says is that if you received hazardous duty pay, you get extra pay for going to combat. You know, it's, it, it's usually a percentage of whatever your base pay is. So what it says, is if you got hazardous duty pay, which usually means combat, uh, then, we'll, then you're included in parts of this legislation. My problem is that just good enough has not helped 40% of the people that went to K2 that are now seeking care, right? They can't get it. So while that might help them, to me, it's disingenuous if you're not saying the word. Uzbekistan, we were there. It was real. The war started there. It was a rotational base that everybody went through. It happened. Say it. And that's really where I'm starting to get. When I, when I speak to the Senate, I spoke to Senate staffers today right before I came on your show, because I'm doing that, I'm taking leave from work, right? right? It's pandemic, so I've been teleworking, right? So I've had time to, had time to do this. Um, but you know, I'll take an hour of leave, and I'll get on the phone with a representative or with their staff or with whoever they identify that I should talk to and tell them exactly what I'm telling you. A lot of times what they say is, what you said, Wait, so what, do you, what do you mean Uzbekistan isn't in the CFR? What do you mean it's not recognized as a deployed location? They're incredulous. Uh, and as people have gotten to know, that's why you have what I consider to be very brave politicians that are putting forward this legislation. 
um, b- because there is resistance to it. Why? I, so I don't know. You know, we, we, this is what pisses me off, though. It's like, it's like it, is our government too big or are they too stupid or are they too evil? Is it evil? It feels like slippery slope, right? That, that's when, when I have the conversations with, with people, it, it feels like if we say presumptive condition, right? That's, the VA is going to cringe a little bit because there's a dollar amount attached to that, right? Yeah, but so what, dude? They're printing money like it's going out of style, okay? When I see us drop however many trillions of dollars and ours would be in the millions, it's not like I have those millions, but we're talking about a very small amount. And of that 40%, how many are already covered, right? So Not only, not only that, dude, you guys sacrificed any... I believe if somebody gets injured and fights in the war, any war, if, if you're there for us, right or wrong either i don't really care if we no, we weren't shouldn't have been there dude if a american goes to war they come home they should be covered for life regardless of anything that happened there or because of there and i believe this goes an extra mile they shouldn't have to pay taxes oh i wouldn't complain about that one they're paid in full that's 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 i'm serious if i ever ran for president and became president i'd be initiating a bill that says all injured war veterans are paid in full you lose a leg for the united states army dude you're fucking paid in full i don't need a piece of your income when you go make some with your one leg okay you can keep it why because you lost your leg for us so guess what keep the money you're making we'll be fine without your 960 bucks okay because again we're talking about freaking Taxing a whole bunch of people is a lot of money, but letting 10,000 people get freaking medical care, letting 10,000 people not pay taxes, that it's not going to amount to shit. It's, it's, it's peanuts compared to what they're blowing on a bunch of stuff that's just ridiculousness. You know, I, I, I try not. It, it, it's funny. I'm dealing, dealing with politicians and find myself in a very politicized position. I, I mean, I got permission from my agency to, to do what I'm doing, right? I mean, that, that required, you know, both verbal and written position. I'm surprised. Um, so it, fortunately, so other than mentioning to you what I do for a living, just because it's an, it's, it's an amusing anecdote to, to, you know, otherwise I'm just a tattoo dude in a, in a t-shirt. Hey, he's got sleeves. If you guys are watching the video, <laughs> if you're listening to the audio, he's got sleeves. He looks like a freaking undercover, you know, federal agent that, that busts up, you know, biker meth labs. But, but at the end of the day, you're a, you're an active duty federal agent that investigates crime for the, for the army, whatever department, CID type department. <laughs> I would, I would assume they'd be like, Mark, shut the fuck up. No, because it's I, I'm not using that to gain anything. It's not like I'm going in there and saying you'll do this because I'm who I am. That's just incidental to my job. You know, we we have a school teacher on our board of directors. We have a couple of retired soldiers, and you know, a lot of our volunteers are you know disabled veterans, or you know, we have vice presidents of their own companies. So we, you know, all that's relevant, right? What do you do in your real job? And what are you doing in the other 20 hours, 30, 40, 50 hours a week that you're working with, with our uh, all-volunteer <laughs> organization trying to get the word out while at the same time trying to get legislation and all of this, by, by the way, during a pandemic. So, it, you know, I couldn't tell you what this looks like when things are normal or when things even go back to normal. I've only ever done this since we testified to Congress. I know I'm getting ahead, ahead of ourselves a little bit. All this has been done by teleconference, email, and phone calls. 
and we're still we're still starting to see results. We're still able to do things like fly from Florida to Las Vegas and talk on a podcast about this where even a week ago you guys hadn't even heard of this. And that's that's the whole point. Is, and, and here's the other thing. It's kind of a cool story, right? We were in Uzbekistan two weeks after 9-11 on an old Soviet base that they themselves had used to invade the same country unsuccessfully. I won't make any comments on how successful or unsuccessful we've been, but we occupied all their old bases, right? So they must have allowed that. Oh yeah. Well, well, the Afghans. Well, the, the Afghans didn't have any say in it until after we got there and we established a new government and got the Status of Forces Agreement, and then we were like, "Is it okay if we keep these things we took?" Um, uh, but what did they say? Uh, they said, "Of course, uh, you can keep them uh, since we'd already occupied them and put up fences and towers with the guns pointing out." And they said, "Sure." That'd be great. Help us fight the Taliban. Are we still there? Oh yeah. Well, what about the poison? Was it removed? Uh, now K two, K two, we're not. Uh, but we're, we're but we're at all of our old bases, old Soviet bases down down Afghanistan. In fact, uh, my son in law uh, is in Afghanistan as we speak at Bagram. What's his name? Uh, his name is uh, Kyle Lapore. Does he have an Instagram? I guarantee that he does. And I could look it up. I I, I could text my daughter and have her. She's gonna be so mad that I didn't Te- know it. Text her. All right. We'll get the bomb squad to shoot him out some love from America. <laughs> Actually, I'll text. I'll text my wife and everybody. Her. Tag this guy, freaking Dude, send him some love. He will love that. So he has he has a little bit of Wi Fi. He does uh, uh, intelligence related stuff. I, I definitely don't want to get into too much depth about that. Hang on, what's Kyle's Instagram? Yeah, if if people hit him up, he will absolutely eat that up. Because so I've you asked me how I got to Uzbekistan, right? So, because we, we, had, we had special forces there. We had everybody else there. I got there because I was an active duty soldier, right? I'm no longer a soldier. You can look at me and you know immediately that guy is definitely not a soldier. Um, but uh, I went there. I got orders in April of 2003. Got on a plane in uh, July of 2003 at Fort Benning, Georgia. Flew to Baltimore. Flew to Turkey. Flew to Kyrgyzstan. Um, there's a base there called Manas, also an old Soviet Air Base, um, and I got on a New Zealand Air Force plane. And th- th- this isn't important to the story, but I, I've never told this story, so I, I feel like you might like it. So we wait in the sun all day, right? And this, this place is bombed out because we haven't been there very long. The infrastructure hasn't been supported. So we're just sitting in the sun. It's, it's Las Vegas hot. That's, I mean, it's just it's miserable. And we've been on, on a plane for 36 hours. They don't let you get off the plane, all those places I just mentioned. Maybe you get off, take a leak, but you have to stay like right there next to the plane. It's like a charter flight. It looks like a regular 737, except it ain't. And then we were getting on a C-130, and it's New Zealand Air Force C-130, right? And we're walking up on it, and there's a, a Kiwi loadmaster. It's the guy that makes sure everybody sits where they're supposed to in the back, makes sure everything's balanced on this cargo plane, right? And there's probably, if I had to guess, 120 dudes, that, that, are, that are going down to Bagram, Afghanistan. It's our main hub base just north of Kabul, right? It's where Kyle is right now. So she hasn't texted me back yet. But uh, as I'm walking up to the plane, the guy's sitting there. He's, he's listening to Guns N' Roses, right? He's listening to Paradise City. He's got this shitty little boombox with a tape. It's 2003, right? He doesn't even have a CD player. He's got a cassette tape playing Guns N' Roses, Paradise City, as we're getting on this plane. He's, and I'm not even going to attempt to do the accent, but it's, it's a quality, thick what I would consider maybe even a redneck Kiwi accent. And on the side of his plane has all the usual markings, New Zealand Air Force. It has the flag. It has the numbers of the plane. And then it has in capital letters, black, bigger than any other letter on there across the nose of the plane, T-W-A-T. So I, I stop and I'm like, 
your plane says twat. And he goes, Oi, it's the war against Tira. So we get, we get on the plane, the, the, the twat plane, the war against terror plane. And we fly down to Bagram, and that, that was my first experience with uh, 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 combat landings, which is essentially a very steep landing in, into a... And I'm sure there's pilots listening like, no, it's not what it is. It's really steep. You have to hold on to like the cargo nets behind you because you're, you're in the back of a cargo plane. And they land into Bagram, and the, the bottom door drops out, and any veteran that's listened to this that's been to Bagram in the summer will know what I'm talking about. It looks like Mars. You've seen pictures of those satellites on Mars during uh, a sandstorm? That's what Bagram looks like. Doesn't look like anything. Uh, it just looks like red sand, and it smells like camel shit and people shit and diesel fuel, burn pits, plastic, you name it, jet fuel. So I walked off of that. I was there for a couple of days with a small unit. I got sent by myself to replace one other dude that did what I did up in Uzbekistan. So that was when I got down into Uzbekistan. I remember all this so well, by the way, is because the four times that I've been deployed, I keep a journal, just a, a, you know, like a spiral notebook, handwritten journal, day by day. So I remember what I did by those days. I actually, I actually have them with me. Um, but, uh, well, the, the digital copies, the, the original copies are, are sacred. I keep them, keep them locked up at home. But uh, I know exactly what I did and where I went because e- even when I was, was like out, like say going down to Kandahar, going out and doing other stuff or driving around or you name it, I'd keep a little like tra- travel journal in my, in my pocket so I could make sure, you know, before I went to bed or whenever I had a minute, a lot of those were written in the back of C-130s or helicopters flying back and forth to do it, doing whatever in the back of a uh, land cruiser. By the way, we, were, we weren't rolling around in tanks or armored vehicles back then. It was mostly soft skin land cruisers, right side drive that we'd kind of gotten from Pakistan <laughs> early on. Uh, to be fair, the Iraq war was just starting and the insurgency hadn't really started yet. So they weren't super good at like IEDs and all that stuff. So that wasn't happening with the frequency that you see, uh, not so much in Afghanistan, but that you wound up seeing in, in Iraq. It did happen in Afghanistan plenty of times. So those are, those are different stories. But um, so anyhow, at K2, um, the base was probably had a population of between, if, if I had to guess, between 800 and 1200 at any given time. Um, half of that was on a compound inside the compound that was the Joint Special Operations guys um, who have been disproportionately affected by this simply because of where they were on the base. Because now that we're back in Uzbekistan, remember they built the base, they built the tent city, they put the chow hall was in a tent, gym was in a tent, fire stations in a tent. We wound up getting tent latrines, which if you've never had the pleasure, it's called a GP medium tent. So you've seen standard army tent, right? You can do anything with them. So that uh, a latrine tent is where you... Uh, put a tent over trenches that are dug kind of parallel to each other. This one actually had a trough that went kind of down with a trickle of water the whole time. And you just put toilet seats and then shower curtains in in between. Uh, Sometimes you'll be lucky enough to have a shower curtain blocking off both behind uh, and in front of you. I think this one did, did have that. So that was that. And then the the, the shower tent was very similar to that uh, pallets. And by the way, we were lucky. We had showers, we had toilets. Um, In fact, we even had uh, porta johns that, each day, twice a day, the uh, Uzbek honey wagon would come by and clean out. And you would know when it was time for these things to be cleaned out because they, uh, they snow cone. And I'll let you use your imagination on what a snow cone. You've probably been to a festival, music festival before. You know what I'm talking about. That was a daily thing for us in the 140-degree environment of the, uh, the Porta Johns because those are more convenient. They put those down by, like, the main base, by, by the airfields so we were able to use those. And that's not what even was toxic. No, no, absolutely. that was that was the good stuff. That, yeah, that was, turns out that was just like nor- normal toxic. So, 
those bunkers were in use when I got there, even though guys had gotten sick, even though there had been measurable amounts of chemical weapons like mustard gas. They found, they found mustard gas, chlorine gas, a whole bunch of other stuff. And again, on our website, I have links to all of these. What is the website? Uh, it's strongholdfreedomfoundation.org. And you go, you go on there, you can see a picture of me without a beard, actually, on the board of directors page. Um, and we have links to all of the documents. The reason we know the number of those chemicals is because they were declassified by the DOD about six weeks ago. Um, and that was, I, I'm, I am going to do a, a name drop here. That is directly because of pressure put on the DOD by Representative Mark Green from Tennessee and Representative Stephen Lynch from Massachusetts. Good for them. Without those two men helping, and that's a Democrat and a Republican, without their help and without their early involvement, none of this would have happened. And I will say at this point, uh, Representative Green is a survivor of two primary cancers. He's also a doctor, a physician. Um, He survived brain cancer and colon cancer, which are two of the big cancers that we have from K2 veterans. He was at K2. He was there early and he was there often. He believes that it might have been related to burn pits. What are burn pits? Right. So, yeah, I've dropped that quite a few times. So the military didn't have landfills when we were over there. And we had nowhere to send all our waste. And we were generating a lot of uh, waste um, at, all, at all of our bases. Everything was in plastic bottles. Everything's, uh, you have to be able to throw everything away, right? You just drop it and move on. Plastic bottles, uh, boxes that brought in our food, you name it, everything. Where do you put that? Well, you dig a hole. Uh, I'll use Bagram as an example, but I could tell you all about the ones in Iraq or down in Kandahar, even the one at K2, but Bagram has a special uh, uh, place in my heart since I've lived there three times. Um, you dig a hole down in Bagram's case, uh, you know, in my mind, it went down to the depths of hell, possibly the center of the earth. It was probably more like 50 feet deep and probably a football field across. And it, it was kind of, you know, roughly a circle. And every day, trucks would come over there and dump, just, just uh, trash trucks, dump trucks full of, of garbage and dump them in there. Any trash, medical trash, plastic, uh, and anything else that will burn. And most things will burn if you put them into a pit, keep dumping diesel onto them, and then dump other shit on top of it. And there were burn pits at almost every base that we had since 2001. I don't want to say every because I don't know that it was every. It was at every one I went to had a burn pit. Depending on which way the wind was blowing, brother, you were breathing that stuff. You could see it. You could smell it. You could feel it. Uh, and there are a lot of guys. And that, that's why that, when I talked about the Team Act of 2020, it doesn't help Uzbekistan. So it's, it's not what I'm here to talk about, but it is a very important piece of legislation because what it'll do is it will provide help for all those people. That they haven't done any studies in the burn pit. There's a registry saying, I was near, I was near a burn pit. I'm on it, right? Because I live near burn pits. Um, by the way, K2 veterans can't get on it, even though we had a burn pit, because... Uzbekistan is not recognized as a deployed location in the Southwest Theater of, of Operations. It's not in the 38 CFR. So uh, that's what that, that the, the, the Team Act of 2020 does a whole bunch of that. What the various K2 legislations are doing, and I know we left Uzbekistan, we'll, we'll, we'll go back. Um, but what the various legislations are doing that have been introduced, and we'll start with Mr. Green and Mr. Lynch since they did it. So Mr. Green and Mr. Lynch saw. Uh, the, some of the media coverage, and we had, uh, I say we, we weren't even a necessarily a foundation. It was PJ, who I mentioned earlier, a gold star widow named Kim Brooks. Her husband was one of the first casualties of K2. He was a special operator. He was a lieutenant colonel. Um, four kids, um, all under the age 18 at the time. He was 36. Um, 
He was at K2 from 01 into 02. And Kim, I'm sorry if I got those dates wrong, but I know I'm close. He was home for a year. I would have just landed in K2 for my first tour when at Fort Drum, New York, he was standing in a, you've seen military formations. He's standing in the military formation, suddenly had a thunderclap headache, started screaming, ran outside, went to the hospital with his wife, was diagnosed with an extremely rare form of brain cancer and was dead nine months later. That is K2's legacy. And Kim Brooks is on our board of directors. Um, in fact, when we speak to Senate and their staff, she's, she's brilliant. She's a school teacher. Her kids, check this out, and this is what happens when you die in service, right? As opposed to dying later, getting sick and dying later. They're covered by the post-9-11 GI Bill. They had good medical coverage. Kim's a school teacher, right? She has a kid that went to Harvard, a kid that went to Yale, a kid that went to West Point, and a kid that now plays Division I at Georgetown. That would not have happened if, Mr. if Colonel Brooks had come home and died after he got out of the military. And that's a, that's a good example of what we're trying to do here. And I'm, I'm oversimplifying healthcare and the VA. I'm not going to get into the nuance. But if you want to get into why we're doing that, I talk to her every day, right? Uh, she has spent, you, you want to talk about that this being my life, she had to raise four kids by herself. Mm-hmm. At least she had the money to do it. So... Uh, they were Kim and PJ and one other gentleman who did have thyroid cancer. Um, Tim Welch was his name. He was a, a warrant officer at K2, an Intel guy that did Intel for uh, JSOC. That I'm trying not to use uh, all, all the acronyms. It's, it, it's hard when you dealt with them for 25 years. But uh, the joint, joint special operations guys, um, he, he had uh, primary thyroid cancer. Uh, it's something I have to look forward to, uh, according to my endocrinologist, but not yet. You don't take a thyroid out until you really need to because it can affect the parathyroids, and I already have osteoporosis. So there's already issues with my calcium. So anyhow, um, they went up to Capitol Hill. I happened to be in D.C. for work. A friend of mine who was on this Facebook page that PJ had, she called me and she goes, you need to get in touch with these guys and see if you can help. Okay. And I called them. They said, yeah, come help. Come meet us up up on Capitol Hill. So I, I drove up from Alexandria, Virginia, across the river and met those guys on Capitol Hill and found myself in front of the House Oversight and Reform Committee a couple days later. Um, providing, I pro- provided written testimony, but if you, if you look at the, the video of the testimony, I'm sitting right behind these guys. Like I know what I'm doing. And as it turns out, if you pretend early and then just keep going, you learn it along the way. My, my kids are going to laugh at this, but a lot of it has to do with confidence. You know, my lesson from this is you look somebody straight in the eye and you're confident and you know you're right, then eventually you're definitely going to be right. And that's what, we, that's what we've been doing. It's, at least that's what I've been doing. We have, we have way more competent people than me. Uh, you know, I, I happen to be able to sometimes spin a good story. So they, they, they sent me out into the wild. Um, wait, that made my wife. Yeah, you're a good storyteller. That's for darn sure. <laughs> Anybody watching this is like, I wonder why Brad's not talking and interrupting. <laughs> ah, I got it. All right. So uh, Kyle's Instagram is H-E-R-E-F-O-R-A-K-Y-L-E. Here for a Kyle at Instagram. He's going here for a Kyle here in, for a Kyle. instead of here for a while. Yes. <laughs> Folks on Instagram, go hit him up. Bomb squad. Do your part, man. Go hit him up. Make sure you hit hashtag bomb squad at here for a Kyle. That's it. On Instagram. Tell him you love him. You support him. Tell him old freaking Mark T was here and, and, and told us to shout out to him from Mark T. 
T. Jackson. He knows I was coming. So my, uh, I'll give a shout out to to his wife, my my oldest daughter. So my my granddaughter is uh, 16 months old. They got married, and they actually got married first. Then they got pregnant, and then then he joined the army. So it was there was actually an order to everything. It wasn't a shotgun wedding or anything. Uh, but uh, my daughter and granddaughter have been living with me. They moved in with us like right before everything shut down. Um, but she is eight months pregnant. And shout out to the army. He said, "Can I go home and see my baby get born?" When when I asked that question, when that when my oldest daughter was born, they said, "No." For him, they're flying him home from Afghanistan in enough time to do a two week quarantine at Fort Hood and then fly to stay at my house for an, an extra three weeks of paternity leave before he has to report back to his unit at Fort Hood. That is awesome. That is taking care of somebody. That's right. And you you said a two week quarantine. Yeah, so the, the Army, anytime, th- that, like, so I'm DOD, that's the reason all my employees are still teleworking is that there's, because it's such a large organ- organization, you just can't have all these moving parts going in and out of areas that may or may not be infected. The rates have been very low in the DOD. Who knows? You know, it, it, maybe because of that policy, maybe not. Are um, you allowed to comment on COVID? I, sure. I, you want my, I mean, yeah, we can do opinions or we can. No, what is your, well, I, I believe I said the other day, everybody's, is just opinions. Nobody really knows what's going on. I have a feeling there's an agenda and people are taking advantage of a situation. People always say, you don't believe in COVID. Dude, I totally believe in COVID. It's real. I know this. I just don't believe the masks, the quarantines and all that shit is because of COVID. I think that's the agenda. Someone's leveraging COVID to do all these things for a bigger purpose. That's what I think. So, uh, you know, uh, since I've been hiding my house since March, um, <laughs> and my, so have my employees, um, we've you know we, we have I, we haven't had a choice. I mean, I I, mean, I, I I close my office. We do we call it ad hoc, right? So they, they can go into the office and they, they can work there. Then um, from a, from a DoD perspective, they're treating it like they do any threat. This could be a threat outside the wire, right? If you know that there's an insurgent out there, then you're going to put up every defense that you have, whether you need it or not. So that's that's been my approach. So I, I guess I hadn't really considered the whys, which I, I mean, to your larger point, perhaps that's that's part of the problem. Uh, I hadn't questioned it. Uh, it. Really, all I'd done is just kind of done it. Um, but that that was more of a professional responsibility to my subordinates as opposed as opposed to anything else. And and that's how you're trained. Correct. Yeah, you're trained to do what the fuck you're told. Yeah, you, I mean, you kind of see my answer, and it's it's not that I don't think for myself. I, I wouldn't be here if I didn't. Um, but you know, at the same time, when it comes to something like that, I, I it's kind of like when we do search warrants, right? Like there is a protocol on a search warrant. Oh, you don't want to wear your vest? I don't give a shit. Put you put your vest on, and we're going to go in. We're going to stack on the doors, and we're going to cover the cover the perimeters. Everybody's going to have a radio here. You know, you because you train for all that, and those things are done by that kind of rote, memorized, practiced routine, because. In, in, in the military and, and even even within law enforcement, you have to calculate all the way down to the lowest common denominator, right? Because there's going to be that guy that's you know sitting over there, maybe texting on Instagram or with his finger all the way up his nose, right? Not paying attention. And and the guy I just mentioned is actually for sure somebody I went to basic training with. Um, so I'm I'm sorry I didn't mean to, <laughs> to get to so wildly off no go off base, but. Uh, so, so anyhow, my, my time at K2 was, was uh, you know, split between a lot of different, uh, doing a lot of different tasks. Um, I, I worked primarily uh, with, with military police, um, doing, doing some internal stuff, internal investigation, smuggling, heroin, smuggling, heroin's a thing. You've probably heard in that part of the world, so we dealt with heroin a lot. 
Um, people wanted to steal weapons, you know, like really cool AK-47s that they traded, you know, some U.S. property with an Uzbek for, and then they're trying to ship it home. So we did that. Uh, I, you know, I took one epic trip. Uh, you know, it was about probably 1,200 kilometers round trip from, uh, from down there in Bagram all the way up to the far northern reaches of Uzbekistan, all the way back down and, and all over Afghanistan as well. Um, in my journal uh, th- that, I was, that I was mentioning, it shows a 26-year-old on, on decline. I'd never been sick before I was there. And as we go through that summer of 2003 and getting into the fall, I'm having everything from respiratory issues to what I now recognize as uh, endocrine system issues uh, to gastrointestinal issues. And uh, for the final FU in February of 2004, I went into the, the MASH unit, which a uh, little bit of trivia, uh, the last active MASH unit in the U.S. Army before they started calling them something else was located in Uzbekistan. Uh, but I went into the MASH unit with a stomach ache uh, and was diagnosed with appendicitis and woke up two days later after having had my appendix taken out in a tent right there at, uh, at K2 Air Base. So I, I have an old school uh, appendectomy scar on top of everything else. But uh, I got out of the Army uh, very soon after I returned from Uzbekistan. Um, we, uh, the fly home story is kind of interesting too. You know, you, you picture soldiers returning home from war a particular way, right? They get with their unit, they put on their uniforms, they get on the plane, the plane lands in the tarmac, they march off, their families are waiting there to go and hug them. Not me, uh, me, me and my partner, uh, Joe, uh, we got on a C-17 that was a casualty flight. So it was guys that had been injured in combat. We flew into uh, Ramstein air base in Germany, they offloaded those patients off the C-17, loaded on some coffins, uh, and we rode with coffins across the Arctic Circle down to Dover Air Base. They offloaded the coffins. My grandparents were still alive at the time. My, my grandfather was a retired colonel, army colonel. I had called my dad from Germany saying, hey, I think I'm going to be stopping at, at, at Dover with these bodies. So we, we land at Dover, and my grandfather comes up, gets access to the base, and meets me. At, at the base with my, with my grandmother, which was kind of a unexpected. Two things happened that day. I saw my grandfather, my grandmother, and I saw grass for the first time in 10 months. You know, something green, something wet. Um, w- that night, we flew down to South Carolina. Me and my buddy Joe, uh, we, we caught a C-130. And that was as far as we could get. We had to get back to Fort Benning, Georgia, which is about a mm, six-hour drive from there. So we, we hitched a ride with some other dudes over to the civilian side of the airport in South Carolina, rented a car. We still had, like, our M4s and all of, all of our gear. Um, and Joe drove me to my house and I went to my house and called my boss and said, funny story. I'm home. Can you come get my rifle? <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, my story is a little bit unusual with, with respect to how I did anything. Right. You know, I, I like to say that the, that the real heroes in this story are the guys that go out, right. I'm, I'm what's known as a, a pogue, a person other than grunt, right. P O G. Um, the real guys are, are the guys, the trigger pullers, the, the, the guys that are in combat arms, they're flying combat missions. They're in special forces, they're infantrymen, they're artillerymen, they're cavalrymen. Those guys are out there risking their lives. What I'm doing is, in some vague way, indirectly helping them do that by keeping water flowing, by keeping heroin from getting into their blood, from keeping them from killing each other when they're not out killing the enemy. Um, but I want to make it real clear that those guys are suffering the most from this, and those are the guys that we owe the most who go to combat. You know, Those guys bring combat to the enemy. I've been shot at, sure, a bunch, direct and indirect fire, but that found me. Right, I, I didn't go out and bring that to anybody. That was incidental to what I was doing. Could have been walking to that tent latrine, not in Uzbekistan. They didn't shoot us in, in Uzbekistan, but or driving my 
thin skin, right side drive, uh, land cruiser to who knows where to do, who knows what. But I got home, I got out of the army, I got my current job. Um, it's actually exactly the same credential that I had when I was on active duty. So I like I left the army on a Friday and just drove down to Florida and started working that Monday. Same badge, same same credentials, totally different job, totally different authority. Right, you know, federal agents have a completely different set of authority from the the active duty agents under more. Yes, yeah. So, so, so you just you fucking elevated a little, little bit more money, a little bit more responsibility. Yeah, you know. It's, and and you can you arrest people? Yeah, I do it all the time. So you just like, but are they military only, or can nope. you you arrest civilians? I I have not worked a case on an active duty soldier since two thousand seven. So you arresting civilians for 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 what? Uh, you name it. So, uh, but, but how is the Department of Defense arresting civilians? Because we have so it's it's the agency itself using federal agents that are specific to federal law enforcement, right? So we're not we're not in the army. We're I'm arresting people who steal. Generally, is what I'm doing. So I, I the stuff that happened with Steve Bannon today, that you know the the the, the, mo- the shuffling the money around from the charity and putting it into personal accounts. I'm not familiar with Steve Bannon. So he he was a uh, he was a guy. I think he was on the uh, uh, Trump election committee in 2016. He was I, I can't, he came from a, a website. Anyhow, he um, he and a couple other guys set up a charity to build a wall along the southern border. And they got yeah. like, they got like 25 million dollars. And they divided it up amongst the four of them. So and that, that's a pretty common scheme, right? You set up a charity, then you set up shell companies, right? So you set up your charity that says, okay, this is what we're going to do. In this case, build a wall, right? And then you have a couple guys set up shell companies, you know, you know, Joe's Construction Company, Joe's Super Great Wall Company, Joe's Concrete Company. And then you send money to them, but they're not real. And then the accounts that are associated with those businesses, those are your accounts. And then they just, you get the money. And, then and they don't build shit. They just, and yeah. that's fraud. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's cut and dry though. Yeah. yeah but that's, that's cut and dry fraud. Yeah. That's cut. And, I mean, yeah, what do they think they're going to get away with that shit? 100% of the time. And why I, I don't, I don't know. And I know I don't look like that guy. And so I, I, I wear a suit, right? Like there's going to be people watching, especially if like prosecutors or some of these politicians see this, they're going to be like, that guy has tattoos, you know, like, uh, because th- there's people I've known 20 years that don't know that I do. Cause I, you know, I dress, I dress professionally generally. I mean, when I'm in my office with my guys, you know, no, but but when I'm in court or when I'm out, you know, doing stuff, generally I'll wear a suit unless it's someone like you're describing where they think they can get away with it and I'll show up like this. And you can kind of see these are guys that you, do they know? Are you undercover? Uh, by the time we show up, they know they're in trouble. Yeah. Um, and P.S. By the time we do show up, we don't actually need to talk to you anymore. Like when you see it in the movies and they're like, I advise them of their rights. Mm-mm-mm. Nope. No. By the, by the time we show up, it's all over but the crime. That is, that is, uh, because you guys don't make a move until you know, no, we got to know, no. Yeah. You got to know, uh, if you, you can go anytime there's a, a press release like today, the reason I know all this is I read the affidavit this morning that, 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 that they released and it's an affidavit that I've seen written, you know, a dozen times or more in, in my career. It's, it was very, <laughs> I can't believe I'm commenting on this, but it was very straightforward, Kind of chicken shit fraud. It, uh, you know, at the Postal Service did a great job. As uh, Postal Service IG did the investigation. I work with them uh, from time to time. They did a really great investigation. But I'm sure that there was a moment in the investigation where they're just shaking their heads like, I can't believe this is this easy. Because it, it, it's, it's right there. Right now, you got to know where to look. But it's, not, it's just not hard. The ev- the ev- everywhere you go you leave a trail, right? There's, I especially now. Especially now. But there's so, when, when 
policing started back whenever there's a French guy, and I can't remember his name, and everybody's going to be howling at me for not, not remembering his name, but he had a saying. He says, when you commit a crime, you leave something there and you take something away. This is a dude that didn't know about DNA or blood type or any of that stuff. It, same as with fraud. You, you can't move $25 million without somebody noticing the breadcrumb, especially not if you're you know, affiliated with a politician or... Uh, and not only that, they must not have been too smart. Because because you can get away with shit oh, sure. based on the law. Like, for example, there's $25 million. Okay, I can legally take, for example, 92%. Sure. And we can call it administrative fees. And we can fly and, and have meetings in freaking Greece. And we can have great meals while we're in Greece having these meetings. But, a, but for example, 8% has to actually go to build the fucking wall. Now again, I'm not I'm not saying those are the rules, yeah. but there's rules I'm sure yep. that they could have just abided by and not and not you know they still could have been fraud. It's still fraud, but they at least could have freaking danced around the law and the loopholes. Didn't even try. They they tried to cover it. Um, what I what I found uh, who'd they raise the money from? Donors, just regular people. Yeah, they did like a GoFundMe. So I see a GoFundMe out there that says, hey, we're going to raise money to build the wall, and, and I put money in there, and that wall never gets built. Those people are in trouble. Correct. Yeah, because whatever that because they've set up a 501c3 or 501c4, I think, in this case. What if you didn't? If you didn't set up the 501c3, you're still you're saying that you did. You know, it's, it's, it's all about what you're presenting yourself to be. When you, once you start making these com- – you know, there, there, there's all sorts – that's what we're talking about now, federal laws, right? There's all sorts of federal laws and state laws and local laws, international laws, and all sorts of things, banking laws, everything that covers down – on all this stuff. And it's, it's certainly not my area of expertise that that particular type of fraud, but it, when I, when I read it, I mean, it's just, I, you know, I can explain it to, to, to a layman and you're just like, yeah, that sounds super illegal. Do you think they started out with good intentions? No, no, not in this case. I think, I think they, I, at the very, like, was there a seed, a germ at the very beginning? Yes. When I read that, I'm like, like that first couple of weeks, when he, when the guy had the idea, the original guy had the idea. They they're probably like, this this is legit. We're really we're we're gonna build a private wall on this dude's ranch. And then they're like, we got twenty five million. That's a lot of <laughs> right. so. yeah. Because like because one time one night I I got pissed off that they're that they're basically deleting people's posts. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of doctors saying, you know, shit that for some reason they just keep deleting the posts, but. I'm like, dude, there should be a there should be a platform that that there's no censorship. Period. I'm going to start one. So I started a GoFundMe, which I've never done. And I had within like an hour, I had like 6,000 bucks raised. And then I thought, fuck, I'm not doing this. And so I so I hit refund and and I had to call them and say I'd like to refund everybody's money and they basically, I'm telling you, they basically almost said I didn't have to. They said, "Are you sure?" I said, well, yeah, because I'm not going to do this. So I need to refund all these people that have donated me because number one, I'm, I'm somewhat of a public figure. Mm-hmm. Dude, if, if, if uh, number one, number two, well, number one, I have integrity. Number, number two, <laughs> I'm a public figure. But if, if I would have almost listened to the GoFundMe people, they almost kind of insinuated that you can just keep that money. And I'm like, I don't want the fucking money. Good call. <laughs> but dude, if I would have yeah. kept that money, that's technically, technically. And, and didn't do it, that's fraud. Yeah. 
I mean, six thousand dollars. You can be hard pressed to find someone like me to come knock on your door. Um, yeah, I did. it went twenty five million. <laughs> yeah. But that's where I was going. I was going with you know. I thought you know I'll raise ten, twenty G's and freaking get my programming team to make a little you know startup company. Dude, if I'd have said that, and all of a sudden the whole world said, "Yeah, we want a freaking censorship free platform because we should have one." Right now, you're on Instagram, you're on Facebook. Those are owned. They're on Twitter. Those are owned. Somebody says something they don't like, they don't like, they get rid of it. There should be a platform that is un, uncontrollable. Like I always say the president, because again, Trump always gets fucked with so much. I always say the president, regardless if it's Trump or anybody, the president should have a, a, a direct to the citizen channel that cannot be altered. Well, I mean, you kind of just described 4chan and 8, 8chan. Uh, to, to, That's that Chinese one. Uh, it is kind of like a a anonymous message board um, where you, if you, if you go to Four Chan, you'll see. What I'm, I've, I've had some stuff wind up. You know, like we'll be working on a case, and you know we we don't make public a lot of times what we're doing, and suddenly you find yourself on Four Chan, and it's like I said until very very recently. For example, now I was very much allergic to publicity. I had a professional aller- allergy to it. Um, because of what I do, but then I got to thinking, one, I have a cause that's probably more important than my, you know, general distaste for that. Um, but, but two, it can, it can, it can, uh, ruin cases, can ruin cases. Right. So, uh, but for me, I, I don't, I don't really work them anymore. I, 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 su- I supervise. Um, so can you confirm or deny if there's any on me? <laughs> I'm not, you'll never see my name on your charts. Trust me no, when I tell you. you, you won't. I keep telling people when they always ask me, to me, freedom is the most valuable thing. Like freedom. Like, dude, if I, if I had to live, if they said, Brad, you're going to live with no money above a 7-Eleven and you're going to work 12 hours a day at the 7-Eleven as the fucking clerk, period, your whole life, but you can be free. You can come and go and do what you want and see who you want and go where you want and everything's great. Or you can fucking be a criminal and potentially get locked up. I'm working at seven 11 brother. Yeah, man. I, I, you know, I, you asked me what the most common, common reason that we catch people is they get greedy. If you aren't greedy and if you're smart about it, you'll get away with it. We're catching the dumb ones, man. That's, <laughs> oh, that's funny. Hey, if I got any criminals listening, there's a little encouragement for you. Fuck, use your head. You won't get caught. That's it. Don't and don't don't be stupid. I'd say don't do it. Yeah, right. I, I mean, I'd say you're stupid, even if you do it, and you and you're the most ingenious son bitch on the planet. You know why? Because I think eventually it's going to come back and get you. I've been in a lot of federal prisons and a lot of other prisons at every level, and precisely zero of them have been nice. What about the the finding money? Because I I think to myself if i'm in iraq and i and i'm going through the neighborhood and you know doing what i'm told looking for insurgents whatever it is i'm doing and i fucking kick in the door of a palace and i see a fucking gold rolex guess what i'm gonna be back to the base wearing my gold rolex so there's that's a spoil of war you should be able to keep that shit so after and i don't know when the regulation was made it might have existed during world war ii but everybody's got their granddad something that he took from somebody in 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 world war ii um, but somewhere around that time, they put it into the Uniform Code of Military Justice that you can't take spoils of war. So it's an, it's an actual – within the military, there's a law that's saying that you can't do See, that. See, they ruined it. As individuals, I would say. So units can take certain yeah, things. Yeah, but that's confiscation. We 
yeah, I mean, there's that's words. Units can't take it and split it. No, 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 no. It goes back to the unit, and then it becomes you know a piece of a unit museum or sits on, sits in front of their. Can it be liquidated and fund the unit? <laughs> no, no. Uh, like my unit had swimming pools and fucking. <laughs> well, you know, depending on which palace you had in Iraq, talking about Iraq, uh, some of them had swimming pools. There was an Australian compound uh, when, I was, when I was in Baghdad. They had a swimming pool and a bar and all, all that other stuff. I never went there. We weren't. We weren't. Who funded that? Uh, that just that was that was they look at the draw. They got Saddam's old pool palace. I got the one that had been bombed out three times during the war. So. <laughs> So have you ever have you ever personally witnessed like pallets of money? Yeah, of course. Yeah, we, we yeah absolutely. Yeah, but stacks, planes full. Have you ever seen three kings? Yes. Yeah, I figured we were going there. Is that real? <laughs> I, so I don't know that that story is real. I, I I know that there are stories about those sorts of things happening, stuff that disappeared. You know, because of why Occam's razor suggests that whatever the easiest answer is. That's probably the answer, right? So if something like that does disappear, if all that gold does disappear and the Americans are there, my guess is that in the vacuum of the chaos after the invasion, somebody went in there and took it that knew that it was there way before we got there, right? That, so that's, that's what I... But, so if, the, if, if all of Saddam's missing, because there is missing treasure, right? The treasury was looted. Maybe. You know, like I said, maybe they're smart. I, yeah, I, I don't. Well, the only way to be smart would be to come home and, and, and never show it's benefit that it's like, dude, you steal a hundred million dollars, but you can't spend it. That's my point. Why would you, why would you steal? Cause to be smart, dude, you cannot spend it. Don't go steal a pallet of fresh sequential hundred dollar bills and mail them home to your mom and your grandmother and then have your meth head brother steal them and buy 25 Harley Davidson motorcycles and build a meth lab with it because you'll get caught. That is, might- is that, has that happened? Oh, Sure. How, what's the most someone sent home? Oh, millions. Millions. So I could just be sitting there, my brother's in the war, and all of a sudden I get a package and there's millions of cash in it? Yeah. That happened? Yeah, for sure, yeah. Dude. <laughs> I, 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 don't know how, I don't know how we got all the way down here, but yeah, I mean, I got, so this funny thing, you, know, you got 25 years of stories, right? So <laughs> What about child trafficking? <clears throat> um, sure, I've, I, we've worked those cases. There's task forces in most states um, that have been up for, for many, many years um, that, that deal specifically with that. Now, my agency, my part of my agency doesn't deal with that, but um, I, I know of the existence of those agencies and those task forces, and they're run. Most U.S. attorney's offices throughout the country have a task force dedicated only to that. And do you, do you think it's possible? You, you've heard a cue. Oh, sure, yeah. You think any of that's possible to be actually fucking true? That that the part that I'm talking about is that the highest officials, the highest of government, the highest of people are actually involved, which is why a lot of it went uncovered up until what seems seemsly seems like is starting to unravel. The old Epstein. You you look at Jeffrey Epstein's face, and then you look at the 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 him laying on the slab, mm-hmm. and you put side by side you can clearly see that's not the same person at least that's what it appears now you don't know if the photo was doctor so i don't i don't go off on conspiracy tangents but if that is a real photo and you've heard well epstein's not dead Hmm. well well that doesn't look like epstein yep dead people don't look like they did when they were alive especially ones that died violently um so and and strangulation even if it's self-strangulation which 
you know, again, I don't, I don't, it, because I've been doing this for so long, I don't get into a lot of the conspiracies because, again, Occam's razors would suggest that what does the evidence show directly, right? What does it show? Well, it shows a guy in a cell alone with a sheet and then he hanged himself. But when you hang yourself, you go unconscious really quick, right? Five, six, seven seconds. And then you die 15 minutes later as your diaphragm slowly pumps blood into your lungs. That's gross. Like you, you twitch and you, you, you flop around. It's, it, it's, a, it's, an unpleasant, it's an unpleasant death and that changes the way that you look. And then add to that that those features, because you're, you're going to be puffy and, 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 and you know, dead and your blood's going to pool, um, you're going to look different. So, and, and then if somebody takes a sneaky little cell phone picture with shitty light on a bad angle with a sheet covering half your head, it, you know, that, that, that checks out. I've seen a lot of dead bodies. Yeah. Um, so with respect, so, it, it, you know, the Q child trafficking thing I've heard about, um, but with respect to Epstein, that's, that's all public record. And you can read the affidavits from those previous cases. I've done it. Um, I, I can't remember where they are, but those, those, were all, those were all released by a judge a couple weeks ago. So you can go in there and read what the investigation was. And it says exactly what it was. I can tell you that he was for sure a pedophile. He was for sure trafficking in underage people. Um, that, that Maxwell lady certainly does appear to have been some sort of a pimp, for, for lack of a better word. He had other ones. I have Were been, the Clintons involved? Uh, so involved, they were friends with him. See, I don't even want to talk about this. <laughs> I don't have security detail. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I don't think anybody's. I mean, when I look at that yeah, stuff, did, well, I don't want to get Clintoned. <laughs> I, I I look at the investigation and and I I say, okay, you know, what what would I do in that situation? Uh, one, I would run as far far and as fast away from it as I can and give it to somebody else. Um, but you know, if you do have something like that with with a prominent person that is friends with someone that you know has been doing nefarious things. Lots of people do lots of terrible things, and rich people. And, and we're not talking about people that are, are are wealthy. We're talking that's like that's like mega rich, or you're an ex president, or you know you're you're, you're a, a, a prince, or something like that. Like that's like that that's that's like the the one percent of the one percent. You know, above reproach. It, correct. So they so they're doing whatever they want, and I think they took advantage of that. So you know you we know what Epstein was doing. We know who he was with, and we can infer from that. We know at least he was doing that. And we know what the women are saying. And the only thing that I would need to see to be convinced of something is evidence. And I mean actual evidence. You know, like actually to look down at something and say, okay, there's the flight log. Here's a picture. Here are five different, you know, individual statements taken from people that don't otherwise know each other that all match the evidence that they're suggesting we should look at. So, and, and what you're hearing from me is just the way an investigation is done there's too many people involved for like one guy to go rogue it happens um it happened in uh, uh an infamous navy case out in san diego they call it the fat leonard case um what happened with fat leonard fat leonard was bribing admirals <laughs> this is i guarantee this is gonna be the longest episode i'm, ever. So, I'm so sorry <laughs> that's good um Fat Leonard was, uh, uh, I think he was a, a, uh, Indonesian or, you know, uh, Thai. I think it might have been Thailand, but he was a shipping guy. Like he owned, he owned uh, port space that the Navy would use. And he was bribing admirals to, to bring their ships in and giving them millions of dollars in hookers and planes and all sorts of other stuff to do that to the tunes of millions and millions of dollars. Um, uh, you know, tens of millions, hundreds of millions. I mean, this is a, an enormous case. 
Um, and I, I'm not involved in it. This is, this is all things that I've, I've read in the newspaper. Uh, I want to make very clear that I'm not talking about any, any actual investigations, um, with the exception of the one about mail and money home that for sure happened a bunch. Um, this is circa 0708, but, um, uh, fat Leonard, uh, wound up getting caught because they lured him back to the United States, uh, saying that, that, you know, some admiral wanted to bribe him. And as soon as he landed, he was arrested by the FBI. Well, during all this, an NCIS agent, which would be my counterpart, right, in a different agency, um, he wound up uh, uh, being a mole. Like, he was going in there and looking at the case and providing information to Fat Leonard. And so they created, like, a whole second case for this guy to go in there and get fake information feed to the Fat Leonard so they could catch him. Um, and that dude rightfully got, I can't remember, like 20 years or something like that. I remember when he, when he was sentenced, he had the, you know, the tearful, I'm very sorry. It's good. It's called an allocution. You admit to it. And sometimes the judge would be like, oh, you seem sad. Here's instead of 25 years, here's 22 or, you know, some, some, something like that. And he did that. And I'm pretty sure his argument, he's guys like 45 years old. And, and this, I might be completely wrong. Someone can look this up and I, I don't, I don't care if I'm wrong, but I remember it was this sad story that like, I'm a virgin and I live by myself and I, I just, I just wanted friends and he, he was my friend, you know, like, and he completely cashed in his integrity and 25 years worth of, you know, service and, you know, screwed over the investigation and all that, all that other stuff. Damn. Well, I bet you it's also money. Uh, well, it's, sure. It's money. So it, it all comes back to, to greed, right? It, 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 it just be, be, if you're be good or be good at it, that's it, man. Folks, I didn't know we were going to teach you how to do crime but there it is if you're gonna do it do it do it well i actually i have that i gotta i gotta i got that embroidered and i have that hanging on the wall in my office because half the time when we when i look at something i'm just like what are you doing what an idiot why would you do you know i'll I'll tell you if if you i have a couple buddies in the fbi i got a couple buddies that are cops you know undercover all kinds and uh they always say dude the 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 Busts and everything are usually the dumb people. Yeah. They, they say there's so much shit that they never catch people doing, but they're just what what you see on the news are just all the dumb ones that that like I can't believe you fucking thought you'd get away with that. We're so busy with the dumb ones that that there's no way that I have any time for the ones that are just brilliant about it. You know, that's you look at Madoff talking about financial crime. He wasn't smart. He wasn't good at that. It was a pyramid scheme. And some dude starting in like 2000 was reporting him to the SEC like every six months for like 10 years until finally someone's like, we ought to take a look at this. And then like they went, I remember when, when Madoff's son went into the room, the secret room where all the work actually happened, it was like piles of boxes and shredded paper. <laughs> There's nothing in there. That's, and that, and that's, when, the, that's when the scheme, that, that was significant. But Madoff went smart, right? I, he was an idiot. But nobody checked on it. Just, you know, nobody, and that's, I'm not, I'm not casting aspersions on that. You know, that's shit happens. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, I've, I've made tons of mistakes. You could fill a book with my mistakes. You know, it's, this page of paper probably has my success. We're talking about all my success right now. Yeah. Well, nowadays with your iPhones, the tracking that they have, Project Echelon, things where I believe we're being listened to right now. Matter of fact, your phone's right there. My phone's right here. Somebody knows we're together. Well, I told a bunch of people I was coming here, but, um, not to mention yeah. if they wanted to hear what we were saying. So that that I believe this can activate with or without my knowledge. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I'm not giving. I'm not. I'm not like that guy. Like, I'm not telling you that I've sat in secret rooms. But, I'm, but yeah. I mean, for for sure. Yeah. You know, people talk about the. <laughs> 
we'll get we'll get back to k2 pj um the uh people talk about the sign of the beast and being tracked and and you already have it this has a number and it's in your pocket dipshit (laughs) wherever you go wherever you go wherever you go and your the companies have it The, the government doesn't have to do this you're doing it to yourself so the only thing that that the government needs is a justifiable reason that a th- an objective third party agrees with, and then we can take it. So the, co- the Constitution works, and it works very, very well. You cannot, and that's why you hear about when the government messed up, because that's, that's transparency. And by the way, I'm not saying that transparency is universal, but, but generally, to get that information, you have to have probable cause, right? And that's how you get a warrant, and then that's how you get that evidence. That's how the systems work since the 18th century. Um, and and that that works. You can't because you can't BS it. Because the guy you're giving it to, the magistrate or the judge that you're giving it to, is going to very carefully review that after it's been reviewed by a whole bunch of other people, like a grand jury. Uh, so that, well, that, that's that's the other way you can do it. Is you can go to you can go to well, grand jury will get you subpoenas and indictments, um, or, or you can go to a, a, mag, a magistrate will get you a search warrant. Mm-hmm. So it just just depends. I mean, there's there's lots of tools, um, and and all of it is documented. Um, grand juries do operate in secret while they're current and then later all that stuff gets the transcripts are all released like eventually everything is declassified right it just eventually um you know we'll call it 98 percent um you know i i I don't deal in that world um at all thank god um but i know how it works you know I've, I've, i've been around it so back to K2. Yeah, so back to K2. That's a good rabbit hole. Well, the reason why, well, I went there just out of interest, but the reason why it's good we went there is because this is, this was, I was asking you earlier, you would think with your current job, it's not like you're some veteran that's freaking been out for a hundred years, you're smoking crack and you know, you're a current federal agent and you are simply walking in saying, Hey folks, we need to get we need to get Uzbekistan or K2 on the 38 CFR. And somebody would would probably, unless they're, again, there's something they're hiding. I mean, I don't know. This is where the conspiracy goes crazy. Like, why wouldn't they just fucking add it? Like, here, watch. I'm the clerk. Um, what's going on? Oh, okay. Oh, absolutely. I'll get that done. I just need Governor, you know, Shitstain to sign it. And um, I need three people from the oversight committee of the uh, 38 CFR document. And then someone goes, okay, well, where, when do they meet next? Next week. Oh, can you come talk to them? And then they go, oh, you, you're correct. Give them our apologies. We left it off. There you go. And like your, your whole mission would have taken fucking three weeks. Right. So you're, it, it, it's, I'm incredulous too. Um, <clears throat> it's, it, it doesn't make sense. It, it still, it doesn't make sense. And when you talk to some of these different offices, a lot of it has to do politics bureaucracy it's it's bureaucracy it's politics it's competing interests it's timing it's it's who's running for re-election it's 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 a whole host of things that are that that cause these delays right so for example i i the reason i'm here and the reason i'm so forcefully talking for this uh and 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 a whole bunch of other things is because i was alone thinking that i was sick i thought it was normal that you know people in their mid-20s have hypothyroidism, profound hypothyroidism, which, so the, the, the medicine I mentioned, Synthroid, normal dose for that is between 25 and 100 micrograms. D- depends on the person. The pills go all the way to 300. I take 400. 
I weigh 150 pounds. You know, <laughs> it's just it's just this this preposterously high dose, and that's just to keep my endocrine system functioning. So, the common or you know, why wouldn't they just when they got to the base move? Hey, look at all this toxic shit. We better move because because we had to complete the mission. It's mission first. It, it, it really truly is, and because they knew based on what was there that the effects would not be instantaneous. Once they move stuff around, it wouldn't immediately cause the effects that it did. So while we were there, while I was there, um, you know, it, 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 it's a lot like Las Vegas. The mountains are a little bit farther away. It's not really in a valley. It's more like in the, the, the steppes, they call them. Um, so kind of grassland. So it's green in the spring, brown, brown in, in, in the, the, the summer through winter. Um, but the base itself, you know, they built that berm, right? And so that created a bowl. So the water, when it hit this berm, would go both directions. It would flow down into the camp, flood the camp. Again, when the, when you guys go to the website, take a look at the pictures that a lot, a lot of the members and stuff have loaded in. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about. And it went the other way, into those ponds I was telling you about. We called those ponds Skittles Pond because they changed colors and they glowed at night. There was fields that look like uh, will-o'-wisps, you know, the, the, the little, you know, especially in the Northeast, where I, I'm originally from the D.C. area, uh, you go out in the countryside and you get those little glowing things in, in, in the field uh, at, at night. Um, it looked like that, except not quite right, and it was all the way down on the ground. And, and this is something I found out fe- February or March of this year. After hey, I wrote about it in my journal, because, you know, shit's glowing, but... Um, it, it was, it kind of confirmed that I wasn't crazy because you start feeling like you're crazy a little bit in spite of what I do, in spite of, you know, everything I've done since. Uh, and it's, you just, you feel like you're the only person going through these things. Um, and again, I'm lucky, right? So I'm, I'm a federal employee, so I have, I have good health insurance. So I can go to my doctor and I can say, my thyroid's messed up. Cool, here's medicine. And I pay my copay and I just take my medicine. You know, if, 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 if I get sick, if I, you know, if I, I, I got in a motorcycle wreck a couple of years ago, I just, you know, I just get surgery. We have guys that don't have that option, right? So we, we have, we have uh, I'm not going to drop any names, but they're, they're out there. But the guys that reach out to us, PJ now, that's all he does, basically. He's the executive director of the, the charity, but he has a good board working for him. So we're able to do stuff autonomously. But people reach out to him saying, help me. I need your help, kind of like a veteran service organization. We have, we have a guy that reached out to us several weeks ago, um, and you can go on the website. Actually, I will say his name. You can, you can go on the website and read his story. His name's Brian Liebenau, um, and, and he, he wrote a, an, a pretty profound essay for us. He was at K2, 2001, 2002, uh, around the time that Kim Brooks' husband was there, um, and he was home maybe 18 months. He was my age, you know, 25, 26 at the time. And he got diagnosed with a super rare lymphoma, and I think it was in his neck. Long story short, the cascade of diseases that have happened that are probably, you know, look, I can't tell you it definitely happened there, but it sure is weird that all these people are getting sick, right? You know, you know maybe this is where you and I can wink at each other and be conspiratorial, but how much anecdotal evidence do you need to suggest that shit was dirty, right? That it was toxic. Um, this dude now has a feeding tube in one arm. You know, as, as his body, as he says it, as his do- body descends into entropy. Um, we, we had, now he, he and got, no one will help him? He's getting help because it happened while he was in service. But wow. we, we have a guy up in the Florida Panhandle that uh, his wife's a school teacher and he was a veteran and he got out and he was, he was doing some contracting work of some sort and he started getting very, very sick. And he went to the VA and they said, where were you? And he said, K2. And they're like, mm, sorry, can't help you. Can't do that preventative care. Can't get the care for the diseases that came from that place. They won't help him until he's sick. And that's, that's really what's happening. Because 
we can't get the preventative care. You have people getting these profound disease processes, and then they'll help. Secretary uh, of the VA, uh, Secretary Wilkie, probably about four months ago, was asked by a reporter, kind of an ambush question at a press conference. And uh, the reporter says, are you going to help the veterans of K2? And he says, the veterans of K2 can get help. Yep, we can. We can. Sure we can, when we're sick. That's, that's not what this is about. Even with my health insurance, I can't go to my primary care physician or to my endocrinologist and say, man, I don't feel right. All these weird things are happening. Can we do some scans and some tests? <clears throat> They're expensive. They're not gonna, insurance not going to pay for them. She doesn't have a diagnosis code. So she doesn't have a diagnosing code because the VA is not recognizing this place where we can get those codes from. So my, my problem with her is the same problem that these soldiers are having with the VA is they can't go in there and get seen, right? The, documented that there was depleted uranium at K2, right? If a K2 veteran goes in to the VA today and says, I want a depleted uranium test, they will not give it to them. Because it's not, it's, 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 it's ludicrous, right? I, I wish that I could sit here and tell you that there's a really good reason that this doesn't exist. But there's not. There, there, there simply isn't. Um, so after we testified in Congress, and I, I, I know we're running long, so I'll, I'll, no, I'll sprint to the finish. But um, after we testified in Congress, the pandemic hit. And we established the 501c3, and we needed some policies and procedures I hadn't done it before, but I've dealt with the law. So I wrote up some policies and procedures based on some, some other similar charities and some friends that work in, work in that world. Um, we established the board of directors um, and we you know, built the website. And all that time, I started learning how to lobby. And the way that you lobby is you either go up on Capitol Hill and knock on doors. Access costs money. We don't have money. Um, we do have a K2 veteran who is a K Street lobbyist who has been advising um, but their paying clients obviously um, get priority, um, which is cool because their, their advice is really all I need. Because as it turns out, all you have to do is go up there and ask. You're not going to get anything without you ask. So once you understand how the Process Act uh, uh, works, that's how you do it. We already have legislation that, that says most of what we need. So you go to other, other House representatives and you get them to co-sponsor. You either talk to them, you talk to their staff, and you get their constituents who are K2 veterans to call them and get them to sponsor these varying pieces of legislation. Fast forward to July, uh, and we, we got probably about 30, 40 House members to co-sponsor, and about that many senators to co-sponsor as well, meaning that they'd be you know, interested to co-sponsor in House and then possibly put something in the Senate. The way these bills usually go, they don't stand alone. They get added as amendments to other pieces of legislation. Since this deals with veterans, it'll go into the National Defense Authorization Act, the NDAA. Um, it it went in to be looked at, and the only piece of it that made it into that piece of legislation was the uh, the part about doing an epidemiological study. That's fine. It says you're, you're going to do an epidemiological study on, on K2 veterans. That's cool. But if you do a multi-year study on the K2 veterans, we're losing two or three a month. That, and by losing, I mean they're dying. Um, we don't know how many are dead, dozens. Um, but right now, we know we're, we're at a rate of about two or three a month. Um because the disease processes are going on. So the one thing we don't really have is time, at least not for some of them, but to my mind, one of them is too many. Um, so after that, after, uh, after, we, uh, after we lost in the house, it's pretty disappointing. Um, uh, and I don't want to say that we lost, but we, you know, we, did, we didn't get what we wanted, right? So it, and, and it wasn't final, but it, it felt bad, so we were disappointed. 
But disappointment does not allow for mercy. So we didn't show any. So we started hitting up the Senate, and we started hitting up the House, and we started hitting up the media and doing whatever we could, trying to drum up. And at the same time, Representative Green and Representative Lynch were demanding that the DOD release those documents. So the DOD uh, finally declassified all the documents that were contemporary to the studies that were done at K2 while it was still in existence. And all of those documents show that those 400 chemicals were there and that there was radiation 100% of the time anyone was there. So, And that bears repeating. The whole time, every single American that was deployed there was at K2. They were exposed to radiation 100% of the time. So the DOD's own documents admit that all, this thing, all these things happen. Now, one of the reasons we need a study is because no one's done one. Yeah, of course we need an epidemiological study. You know what else we need to do? We need to go back to the site, to K2. The base isn't there anymore, but the stuff is still there. Send somebody down there. Hell, send me there with vice and a scientist, and we'll make a documentary out of it. You know, let's go and find out what's actually there. Um, because that's never been done. So after those documents were released and after we just simply went out and started hitting as many people as we can um, to support something, senators started listening. And there are now three bills specific to K2. Uh, Two of them have already been introduced. There's one pending in addition to that, uh, the, the big Toxic Exposure Act that's also going through there. And that's happened because, again, because you get politicians that care. And this is all uh, nonpartisan. I mean, to, to, to my mind, this is something that people should be able to get behind. Um, there, there's, there's not really a political side to this, um, except, except for when there is. There, I wish I could tell you where the resistance is. I don't know. You know, I, I could probably take a guess, but I, 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 don't, I don't know for sure. I don't, un- I don't understand all the levers. I've only seen some of them so far. Because I'm still new to it. Also, it's all being done via Zoom. Well, I think it's going to be quicker than you think. Yeah, I, I, I think we're going to get something. Um, and, and, and I want to make that clear. Getting anything is, is a win. We, we went from not being talked about, not even being heard about. I think there might have been a Wikipedia page that was like a paragraph long. It's probably still a paragraph long. Maybe not after this, but, but until, until recently, it was just you know, a paragraph saying K2 Airbase was, existed here and the U.S. used it for three years and, and then they left. Um, doesn't really talk about the toxins. Doesn't really talk about the people getting sick. Um, so I, the, the recognition by itself, I don't want to say it's enough, but it gets us moving in, in the correct direction. That's always going to be my goal here. It's, I, I, I don't need anything other from them except for them to acknowledge that, that we were there because they're not doing that yet. And, and these little pieces of legislation are finally starting to do that. And, and if, if, if I had any word to say to any of those politi- politicians, it's thank you and how can I help? Hmm. Folks, here's what I'm thinking as you're, as you're talking. Like, who is in charge of changing the CF? The, the what is it 38 CFR yeah so that's the code of federal regulations um, and that's basically where anything that regulates anything within the federal government that goes and 38 CFR is the chapter that deals with uh, health benefits and veterans and things like that uh, and then there's a, a specific subchapter it's a uh, 3317.1 
I believe. Um, I'd, I'd have to I'd have to look it up, but it's 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 in there somewhere, and that's where they define what Southwest Asia is. So in this in the thirty eight CFR, they say okay. Veterans that were deployed to Southwest Asia, here's the recognized disease processes, all of which are present in K2 veterans. Here are the countries that are recognized as Southwest Asia, and it's Iraq and Kuwait and actual Southwest Asia, but they added Afghanistan, right? Afghanistan borders Uzbekistan. So so how did they add that? So basically a congressman sponsors legislation. It it gets uh, voted on and added to whatever. That's it. That's it. So a senator needs to sponsor Uh, something. Basically just need a, a house and a Senate bill, or they could just tag it on to leg- into any other piece of legislation, right? Make it an amendment. Yep. Say, we need to modify 38 CFR to add Uzbekistan to whatever. And some of these other pieces of, of legislation are excellent, right? That they, they, they provide for presumptive conditioning. And they, but when, when you put it in there like that, it, it allows for some modification, right? So at, at this point, it, it, it feels like the simplest way to do it would be to add those things into the CFR. I'm not the expert. And, and then everybody would be happy. I, I think that that gets us a long way because it gives us, rec- again, it gives us recognition. That's and help. And help. Right? Now you it, qualify. Immediately. It gives them qualified help. That's Yeah, right. so, so I'm a problem solver. So I'm just thinking, what would I do in certain situations? Well, number one, donate money. Where do people donate if they just want if they if they don't know any congressmen or senators or any pol- political ties? How can they just donate and help you guys? So we we have we do have a donate button on the website. You'd be dumb if you didn't. Yeah, it just sets on. You go to strongholdfreedomfoundation.org and top right corner it says donate. Click on that, and that's the easiest way uh, to provide that way because we do once once the Rona is gone or, or it's modified or whatever, uh, we're going to be back on Capitol Hill. Now, what happens if because you're listening to the Bomb Squad and we do we take action? You got like. Hundred million dollars donated, not 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 for real, but let's if, pretend you did. And then next week, a senator got it passed through. What are you going to do with the hundred million? Uh, we would continue advocacy for all the other veterans organizations that are trying to get toxic exposures generally covered. Because so I, I'm a niche product, right? Ten thousand one hundred people, forty percent of which really are affected by this. We're very small. Well, there's millions of veterans that can't get coverage because of all sorts of other loopholes. Imagine this: this is one loophole. For one word, imagine the really complicated ones. Yeah, so you just so you just start helping other folks. Of course, that's awesome. Donate money, folks. Go to strongholdfreedomfoundation.org. Donate five bucks, fifty bucks, five hundred bucks. Number two, reach out to your senators. Just start introducing them. Tag Mark. Tag Stronghold Freedom Foundation. Tell them they need to look into it. Like say something. Tag somebody. Send an email. Send a letter to your senator. Yes. So we have, um, on, again, on the website, I've put a very simple one-page form that describes all these bills and what they do and why we support them. And, the, and the, the real answer is we support all of them, and we thank every single congressman and senator and their staffs for helping us get to this point. Um, uh, Seems like if you get the right one, dude, the problem is going to be solved, or at least the beginning is. Right. It's the, it's the beginning, right? So, And, and again, it, it begins with recognition. I've, I've harped on a 38 CFR because I'm, I'm trying to be logical, right? What, Occam's razor again. What, it, it, using that investigative mind, what is the simplest way to figure out how to, how to solve this problem. Yeah. Get it listed. Just get it listed. Yeah. And it's simple. That's simple to do. It doesn't cost billions of dollars. It doesn't, it's not going to topple governments. It means that if somebody's listening to this, you've got some connections because people have connections, man. There could be someone listening to this, that their dad's a Senator or they're the Senator. I might even have senators listening to this folks. This is why, in my opinion, you are a Senator. 
This is why, like, at least for me, this is what I would be waiting for as a senator, meaning let's make some change. Let's make some shit happen that's that's right and deserved. So reach out to your senator. I say tag Joe Rogan. Yeah. Okay? Because even though people say I'm like a Joe Rogan mixed with a Howard Stern and my shit's getting popular, folks, tag the people that are way more popular, like tag Joe Rogan. And say, because Joe Rogan have you on his podcast, bro. You'll, you, it'll be solved instantly. We had a uh, we had a shout out on Joe Rogan several weeks ago. Um, so uh, we wound up sitting on a <laughs> screw it. I'll tell the story. We were sitting on a teleconference with a larger coalition, and it was it was one of John Stewart's uh, aides was 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 on the teleconference. So when it was our turn to talk, we essentially said the word K two and black goo as many times as we could. And so when Joe Rogan had John Stewart on talking about because John Stewart has been instrumental in a lot of this toxic exposure stuff and bringing it to attention. And I can't remember, he, he had a, a great way to pay for all this. It, it, it doesn't matter. But um, anyhow, yeah, sure enough, on, on that podcast, uh, John Stewart made mention of it in passing to, to some other things. So, uh, but yeah, my God, some, someone like Joe Rogan, yeah, this would be solved day after tomorrow. Yeah, well, uh, that, well, that's nice for John Stewart to mention it. But hey, let's get Joe Rogan to bring you on. He's in charge. He can do whatever the fuck he wants. I, I don't know if I'm Joe Rogan level, but I'll, sure you I, are. I'll, sit, I'll sit there. Dude, if 10,100 fucking veterans are not Joe Rogan level, well, then somebody's overestimating Joe Rogan's value. <laughs> Yeah, I'd, 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 I'm telling you. So, and I know Joe would probably feel the same. Like, if he heard you say that, he'd say the same thing. Like, what are you talking about, dude? I think I don't know Joe personally, but I think Joe would fucking jump on this. Why? Because, dude, if he's got the power to get those people help, let's get him some help. And his podcast can do it. So, folks, if you're listening, you know Joe Rogan. You don't know Joe Rogan. If everybody listened to this podcast, and there's shit tons of them, just tags Joe Rogan. Uh, you're next. Just say Joe Rogan, you're next. Hashtag bomb squad. Joe Rogan, you're next. You know, help Stronghold Freedom Foundation, just whatever you want to tag. Tag Joe Rogan and anybody else that you know with a podcast that that is a big podcast. I'm going to tell my boy Andy Frisella, I bet you anything, he'd probably freaking have you on. Ed Milet probably have you on. Why? For the sole purpose of freaking getting these veterans help, period. I'll pay for it with more stories, man. I got a head full of them. Okay, if you've got a podcast, invite him to be on yours folks big or little by the way correct you never know who's listening to a podcast dude the other day i was on linkedin and it shows like you know who's viewed your page i was like these guys are viewing my page like holy shit like i should have had something on the page but at the end of the day folks if you're listening to this do that donate money reach out to your senator tag joe rogan tag anyone with a big podcast invite mark on and uh most importantly, share this podcast out because someone that's listening might be the person we're looking for. That's right. And folks, if you guys aren't willing to do a little tiny tag and share, shame on you. Shame on you. Because again, I mean, dude, to me, the the the, the veterans, the, the the soldiers, you know, I don't know how they define veteran. If you went and fucking dealt with that shit for our country... Every citizen here, including the government, I believe, owes you a debt of gratitude for damn sure. But more importantly, owes you whatever it takes because it's so stupid compared to what you guys did to get the fucking attention or the help or the or the accountability to where the government has no choice. They, pro- like, they promised. We, 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 we kept our end of the bargain. 
Yeah, like if I like if this was the a ma- I know what to do, folks. Let's make this the most listened to podcast on earth, and then I'll just bring him back. We'll do it one time, and I'll solve it. But anyway, folks, I hope you guys enjoyed listening to this individual. I know we're going to have you back on another episode. At least I do. But again, hopefully K two's prop uh, the the solved by then, and we can just talk fucking stories. Oh man, yeah, because we- dude, I wanted to get more, but I definitely want to make sure the attention goes to this. But like, I want to know more shit, so I'm going to have you back. Sure, man, anytime. And I definitely appreciate you coming out here for this. Oh, absolutely! Thank you for having me, folks. You guys go follow him at sff underscore k two. Hit up his son in law at here for a Kyle. I already tagged him once. <laughs> nice. And uh, you know, remember, folks, share it out. It could be someone else that you shared it with that does the helping. Till next time, keep it real. Dropping Bombs with The Real Bradley. Subscribe at DroppingBombs.com.